Welcome to another episode of the Reboot Chronicles, a no-holds-barred forum with global leaders, authors, entrepreneurs, and CEOs about how organizations stay focused on growth and innovation in unprecedented times. I'm your host, Dean DeBias, coming to you live from Revive's North American headquarters in Chicago, and we would like to thank you for joining us from around the globe today. Welcome back, everyone. It's December 2020, and after personally dealing with uh, coronavirus over the last month or so, I'm happy to say that I've survived and slowly getting my voice back, though we'll see how that goes today. You probably also noticed that I'm not in studio, but that's okay. We have a great guest on today, uh, Jacqueline Parks, who is um, the CMO and EVP of Digital Studios Entertainment and Youth Group at Viacom CBS, tiny little company. She's overseeing almost everything, I think, <laughs> marketing and creativity, I'm sorry, marketing and creative for uh, digital content, social media, both for MTV, Comedy Central, Paramount Network, the Smithsonian Channel, Pop TV, and CMT. And I don't know, Jacqueline, they've probably given you some other things since we last talked, but uh, you've got a lot going on there. Yeah, it's a super exciting time to be in the content business, um, despite this year that we've had, which has been certainly a year unlike no other, and hopefully a year we never replicate again. Um, this year has continued to show kind of the creativity of our team and delivering world-class content around the world. Yeah, it's, um, yeah, everybody's doing the memes about, you know, 2020 is such a bad year. I'm like, you might want to start working on your 2021 memes, people. It's, uh, <laughs> we're still, we still got a ways to go, but we'll get through it. Very confident, personally, myself. So maybe just to, uh, since you have so much going on, I usually don't ask this question, but maybe just tell us a little bit about how you got there. And uh, I know you're a content guru and uh, one of my favorite categories, uh, but you know, just the kind of stuff you work on um, seems like a lot over there. Yeah, I mean, I'm so lucky to be the gatekeeper of some of the most amazing brands in the world. Everything from MTV, as you said, Dean, to Comedy Central, Paramount Network, VH1, Logo, um, just to name a few. And my role is really um, to develop the creative and marketing that lets fans know about the amazing content that we have across all platforms uh, as a marketer and as the head of digital and social media. We also create our own digital original content uh, to build the brand and bring in new audiences. And then I think most importantly and closest to my heart is the pro-social work we do, which yep. um, really enables us to leverage our platforms for the greater purpose of driving social change that we need to see and has really been at the heart of what MTV as a brand has been about for its 40 years. Yeah, it's amazing. You're also responsible for a lot of the campaigns like uh, Alone Together and uh, Vote for Your Life, things like that this year. Um, I know you're focused a lot more on kind of community involvement moving forward, but how, how do you kind of approach that? Maybe tell us a couple little things about those campaigns and everybody knows what those were. They yeah, I pretty mean, cool. I believe strongly um, that doing good is doing good for the business and that your role uh, is is as important to drive entertainment and build the revenue as it is to drive social change. And I've been fortunate in my career from the Muppets to MLB to Viacom CBS to be able to do just that. And um, so this year, um, when everything was hitting with the pandemic, we were trying to figure out what our role was. And you know, the worst thing you can do is repeat what other people are doing and not create social change. So as a small team kind of quickly on the weekend of the 12th, 13th of March, right as the virus hit the United States, we focused on the fact that we reached 93% of 18 to 34 year olds. It's massive. Oh. And God. we have 750 million followers cross platform around the world. 
So we decided we would come up with a digital first campaign that really hit at the heart of what uh, an issue was that was around the world, which was young people weren't getting the message about their role in this virus yep. and helping to slow the curve. So we came up with very provocative digital first creative that really addressed the issue. And then we partnered with the Ad Council um, and you know, so proud to work for a company like Viacom CBS, where Chris McCarthy gave us the green light to take our logo off the work so that all of our competitors could use the creative that we developed and help us get that message out there. Um, and we developed now thousands of pieces of creative cross-platform. All of our competitors, for the most part, use the work. And we were able to see through research that we were able to help hopefully connect with young people, get them the information they need and create that change where, you know, wear a mask, socially distance, um, you know, care about people around you, um, understand what your role is in it. And then we also provided them with, you know, tips around mental well-being, because this has certainly been a challenge for all of our mental well-being. It's amazing. Uh, definitely a lot stronger than CBS cares kind of a thing. <laughs> this is real stuff. Lots to unpack there. I'll try to get through it all like partnerships and syndication and, you know, co-opetition. But I think the pandemic brought that on. You're also one of the first people I've ever heard use the Muppets and MLB in the same sentence. Um, is there a mixture there coming up? Maybe a combined show? Would it be Muppets baseball or something? I don't know. Yeah, I think the only through line in my career is amazing brands that transcend their individual sector to have real impact in the world. And I think that for me as an individual and a marketer, it's been most important to work in brands that I believe in. And yep. um, yeah, I mean, other than the fact that they all start with an M, that's the only through line. Yeah, I, I assume that's one of your job uh, interview criteria. So does it have an M in it? Then I'm not interested. You, you, know, you just you, you just touched on marketing, not to get too, uh, you know, in the weeds here, but uh, the whole emergence, the emergence of purpose-driven marketing, it became clear, you know, with the global pandemic, it was easier for you guys to kind of zero in on that mm -hmm. and be more cooperative and sharing. Normally you'd be beating the heck out of your competitors. And do you see that as a, I mean, is it sh totally shifted? the way you're going to look at marketing for the next 10 years? Or is it just kind of like, yeah, that was okay. Let's go back to normal. If you look at um, the through line of my career from Jim Henson all the way through to MLB, where I ran the charity and philanthropic group, purpose-driven marketing has been at the core of everything I've done. Um, right. Again, I believe that community and philanthropy is a pillar of any good business. It's not about doing the right thing because you feel like, you're gonna get great PR hits from it. It's actually creating sustainable change in the world by doing the right thing because it's the right thing for you to do as a corporate responsibility. Um, so I think purpose-driven marketing is a core to any marketing for any brand that wants to continue to thrive. Um, and I think the great thing about Generation Z is that they're the most socially minded generation and they're demanding it of brands and businesses in a way that I think we should have been demanding it years ago. Yeah, exactly. Maybe dive into that a little bit. How do you differentiate your content, especially your social, because you're syndicating stuff all over social, rather than them coming to you, you're bringing content to them on social channels. Um, so how do you kind of differentiate between Gen X, Y, and Z? A lot of my Gen X are friends, or they always make fun of us because they're like, you know, no one really talks about us a lot or has a lot of memes and jokes. I'm like, you should be happy about that. but. Uh, <laughs> You know, as a marketer, you've got 
just taking one piece of content and trying to forget about baby boomers too, right? But yeah, how do you approach that? There's no one size fits all. And I think one of the things that we've been able to do really well is create content that's both contextually relevant and platform intentional. So when I say that we'll develop a creative campaign like an alone together, and then there are specific executions that live on different platforms. Um, and depending upon if we're, if we're marketing on Smithsonian, which tends to be an older skewing network and brand yeah. or Comedy Central, which is maybe more male focused, we develop assets that will connect with the audiences because you're right, Dean, it's, we live in a choice-based generation, which is wonderful and freeing for all of us. And we can choose what's on our social feeds. We can choose what channel to put on or what to stream. And so um, the more you can develop content that resonates with your audience, the more likely they are to like, follow, or share your content, which is ultimately how we all continue to win in the content business. Yeah, good. Uh, so to a good point. The um, And it's totally changing. Uh, I'll try not to say what it's doing and ask you a question instead. I'll be clever, but it seems like the entire studio and distribution model has literally been blown up. So you're on the reboot chronicles. So obviously that's what we want to talk about, but it seems like just as the lockdowns accelerated, you know, digital e-commerce, it seems like it's totally changed the way that um, you guys are approaching, you know, approaching the business. And um, so the future of content, how it's produced, distributed and access, how does that, how does that play out over the next Let's keep it simple, three, four years. I think that like from a content creation standpoint, um, brands will matter more now than ever before. Brands become a flag post for consumers of how they curate the content. So if you're, you have a strong yep. brand, you're more likely to have consideration by consumers. I think that um, IP is power. So we'll, we're seeing and we're continuing to see more franchises of strong IP across our portfolio as well as our competitors portfolio. And I think ultimately creative culture will drive everything. So our ability to not just react, but thrive this year is due to the creative culture of the organization that I work for, that we've always been a creative first company. We make our content for every platform. We don't, we don't look to other people to make our content. That gives you a tremendous amount of power to thrive in a time when there's a tremendous amount of change happening around you. I think there's going to be you know, this is the last 10 years, I'm good friends with Professor Fader and he talks all the time about customer centricity, right? And everybody right. likes to think they're focused on the customer, but at the same time, they're trying to push to the customer what works for them. We are truly in the moment of customer centricity. And if you don't think about how the customer wants to consume your content and you're thinking about old revenue models, you're not gonna make it in the next three to five years. So, and I think CEOs across the company, CMOs across, across the, um, the, the industry or need, need to really focus on the changing habits of the consumer. And I think this year they've radically shifted in a way that will ultimately be better for everyone. I know we talk about this law, you know, a lot. I, I did at CES last year, um, which was night, uh, CES 2020. Yeah. Um, but then I sit down, like here, I'm in Mexico, we're on location interviewing some people and uh, I turn on the TV, I've got MTV, which I haven't watched in a long time. So let's talk about that in a minute, but I've got Fox and CNN, I'm not a news junkie, right? But it's all, you know, it's just very serial and it's got all the commercials and it's like, we talk about it all, but it's, it's still, you're pushing everything out. You've got to pay for stuff. And it's uh, growing up in the cable business as you've been exposed to yourself. It's, you know, we always talked about the, the beauty of it and the, the targeting 
Uh, it seems like the internet's done that, but there's so much TV that's still still paying the bills, you know? So how do you, how do you see advertising shifting? I mean, you spend a lot of time with advertisers, I know. A hundred percent. I mean, listen, I think um, television still brings in scale in a way that no other platform does and creates also quality control of where your advertisements are seen. Um, And I think that that still drives a large portion of our business, but it's not about either or it's really about more. And, you know, as, (laughs) as you can get scale, I mean, think about it, the VMAs, not to tout our own horn, but to the people who worked at MTV before me built an amazing digital engine that I've been able to develop. The VMAs this past year were the number one social event in the entire of the entire year for entertainment. Number two behind the Super Bowl. Yeah, you guys did an amazing, amazing job there. Beat out the Grammys, the Oscars, the DNC, the RNC. I mean, when you think about that, I'm a new (laughs) junkie too. So we're kind of living in a moment for both of us, Dean. But um, when you think about the fact that the VMAs propelled to that level and actually the best event in two years, that's astounding. And that, that to me tells you that people want quality content and I would say 30 to 40% of the people that consumed it on digital don't have cable. And in order for brands and businesses to thrive, we need to intentionally market and develop content that resonates with those audiences where they are. And that's just what we did for the VMAs. And that's what we're going to continue to do. Yeah. So, um, comparing yourself to the RNC and the DNC of your ship. I don't know about that, but... <laughs> Nice try, yeah. nice try. But you definitely blew away the Oscars and a bunch of other things. No, it was, it was actually a, a well a choreographed show and, and well done. But you just touched on unbundling. As uh, I've been running a social experiment in uh, one of the houses I live in, um, out of just totally by accident, I just didn't have time to get cable <laughs> installed. So I've been running this experiment on myself uh, for months, especially in lockdown with co- um, you know actually having the virus. I really couldn't go anywhere right and um i didn't i don't miss it i miss certain shows i miss certain things like you being a news junkie um so forget about me but just as you look at x and y and z let's just take y and z uh complete unbundlers they look at me like yeah of course what what's a bundle um Mm -hmm. i want what i want when you want it i'm like yeah but you can't get that they're like i don't want that (laughs) you're sitting there clicking all day what are you doing so how does a content studio uh you know, kind of sort through that. There's been mixed reviews. Some of them have done well going direct to consumer, maybe HBO, maybe not. Some of them, you know, not so much. In terms of of viewership and a payment model. Yeah, listen, like if you have the great content, consumers will come. So like, just to give you an example, South Park had the highest rating it's had in seven years with a pandemic special. Um, (laughs) Yellowstone on Paramount Network, up 200 plus percent, the highest scripted show on cable of the year. So I believe that when you have the right content, consumers will come, they'll actually sign up, et cetera. But I don't think the story has been written in terms of how this will all play out, streaming, digital, cable, broadcast over the air, et cetera. I think that that's that's going to be driven largely by the consumer. And I think you're right, like X and Y, um, and certainly Gen Z, like they, Gen Z is a generation that I, I always like to say they swiped before they wiped. They truly are natural curators and <laughs> they have no issue if they can't find it in one place looking farther for it someplace else. They actually thrive by the discovery. So 
I think that model, the model is the model for today and the model will continually shift and the smart businesses and brands will shift ahead of where the consumer is to give them what they need and want. And what does that mean in terms of you guys? Uh, what do you think of short form content? Could be things like that. Um, some of them worked, some of them haven't. For us low attention span people, they seem to work. Uh, definitely works for Z. In terms of streaming, short form, you know, some of them are 20. Listen, those, of you, those, of you, those, those of you that don't watch these kinds of things, they can be anywhere from 10 to 15 to 20 minute episodes, sometimes shorter. And you're, you're wondering where the show is. They're like, that was the show. <laughs> right. Right. I mean, that's why YouTube's thrived, right? Um, yep, creating exactly. short form content that can be seen around the world. We have a massive partnership um, with many uh, different groups on different platforms developing short form content. A lot of it is um, original content. Um, that again reaches out to different um, demos that we don't necessarily reach in cable and it's it's a really big business it's a growing business for us um, and then again like I said it also builds our brand to different um, audiences so I think it's very important um, and I think that there is the 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 trends that we're seeing in data that um, younger audiences like to consume shorter form content but they're also not allergic to longer form content so like I said it's not right. an either or I don't know about business models that solely thrive on that, um, that their only revenue stream. I don't know how that plays out. Thankfully, ours is is not dependent on any one um, form of content. Right. I'm watching a show as we're talking. No, I'm not really. Um, this is the show. So that to me, uh, one of the most important things about rebooting companies, you know, around people and platform and, and passion. If you dive into platform, a big part of scale and new business growth and development is partnerships and you have a bunch of those so it'd be good to get your insights for instance viacom digital studios you're developing digital series franchises verticals you know content across Definitely. all three all, all three brands and i guess you you your group actually partners with that that right. inter, internal group yeah just tell us a little bit about some of the internal and external partnerships and more importantly where that's where that's going over the next uh, few years yeah i mean i think the the most exciting things we've been able to do is a lot of the first to market partnerships with platforms like Twitter. So for an example, um, creating a unique product with a platform partner to um, drive the business and also drive uh, the brand. So we created two years ago, a product called the MTV VMA StanCam. that's a mouthful. But theoretically we were seeing in research that audiences wanted to have more control over what they were seeing at the VMAs. So we started to do some research around, well, what would audiences want to see? And what they wanted to see was the amazing fan pit of all these celebrities. What were the celebrities' reaction to when these great performances were happening? So we created a product called the StanCam with Twitter, and we polled fans on what they wanted to see during the course of the show. And then we worked with the show team. We put nine additional cameras into um, the stadium. And during the course of the show, we showed them, yeah, this is exactly what, um, you know, uh, the Jonas Brothers were doing when Shawn Mendes and Camila Cabello were doing their song performance during the VMAs. This is exactly right. what happened when Taylor Swift was performing and the fans went crazy. Um, Twitter volume rose significantly and no surprise, um, our digital numbers day two and three actually surpassed day one of the VMAs. So we thought, we think that the stand cam was a catalyst for driving that social conversation globally. 
but it was it was a real partnership with Twitter and they were a part of every step of it from the how do we actually execute it, which was no simple task with those nine cameras real time during the course of the event, as well as how do we monetize it, right? Like this is all great, but at the end of the day, as a business, you need to make money. Um, right. So we partnered, um, I think with Doritos and Toyota and created special unique opportunities for them to embed their brands um, into this product in a way that made sense for them and also added value to consumers. It was a huge success. And I think more and more, you're going to see brands partnering with platforms to create unique products, um, as well as to take advantage of existing products, but put your own unique brand spin on it. Yeah, it's a great example. I've been on the set of The Voice a bunch, and uh, I've, I'm always amazed because I'll just look, roam around, and bother people. But I always see all the the red dot XLR cameras. You know, they they just look like a like a picture camera, but it's not. They're yeah. high speed, and they're everywhere, and they never use the footage. It just it's always just in case they have, and they're all time synced, and it's so easy to edit that now. And uh, that sounds like a goldmine. You guys are one of the few that have started to monetize it, not just backstage stuff, but real you know, uh, authentic moments is usually what I, I see caught on those, oh, whether, they, whether, whether they want to caught or not. A hundred percent. I mean, I think that's what's most exciting is that the fans get to see the stars that they love in a way that's not scripted and it's authentic. And we actually were able to deliver on what they wanted. So, you know, after Missy Elliott won the Vanguard Award, it's like, well, what is Missy Elliott most thankful for? And she got, she came off stage and talked to the Twitter stand cam for us. So, that, I mean, that's that's unbelievable. And for Missy Elliott fans around the world, that was a thrilling moment. I know it was for me, too. Yeah, there's probably some tear-jerking moments in those. There usually is. I yeah, definitely. So, you know, um, besides partnerships, some of the other stuff we talk about, here, um, not to get too business boring here, but um, you know, you're working for a massive company, global brands. Uh, we call them BFSs. I teach this at Kellogg. So big, fat, and slow is, um, you know, it's just the way it, these companies are. It's hard to uh, get them motivated. But whenever I'm in a board meeting, I, you know, I always say, but it's the connected tissue of those three that you have to worry about, which is irrelevance, obscurity, and decline. And some networks has, have declined, like MTV. You, you marched in there and you know you're you're a rebooter that's why you're here you you totally transformed it into something different um how, how do you think about that and i guess what, what'd you do at mtv and then just you know how can people think about when they people like you and i always be, we're always given crappy situations like go in and fix this it's like can't you just give me something that's working so, and <laughs> they, they look at they look at me and they go well, you'd be bored and I, I know you're the same way yeah i think i, I think we both would dean i you know, coming into MTV, like, again, the brand is what intrigued me and the opportunity and the reboot I, I opportunity. Bet. And, um, you know, really thankful Chris McCarthy, our president, is truly, like, I, coming from sports, I always have baseball analogies, but he's the money baller of programming. <laughs> he is. So, um, you know, we have an amazing leadership team. And Judy McGrath, who used to be the head of the company years ago, always said that as an organization, um, as soon as you get it right with MTV, it's time to break it down and start again. So the DNA was there. We're a creative first organization. And it was my job to bring those elements back to the business and to um, kind of get the team and the culture to embrace the fact that um, we needed to break it all down so that we could build it back up together. And that's exactly what we've done. And it was, listen, it's been blood, sweat, and tears to do it. Um, but a passion pride because again, not just driving the business, but we've driven the social conversation and created cultural change. Um, 
And I think the secret sauce for our group is that, um, you know, the Redstone family created this creative first organization that we're builders first. Yep. So I don't have to rely on anyone to shoot, direct, film, produce for any platform. It's all in-house. And that wasn't the way it was when I came, but it was the way it was in the early days of MTV. So it was really um, bringing that back in-house and bringing the world-class creatives and producers and designers in-house so that we could be reactive and we could be proactive in a way other brands aren't. And that's why we're winning. And I think as a move forward, companies in the content business that are going to win are going to be the creative first organizations. And I think people like me shouldn't be in a company more than three or four years, because I think you do need to break it down so you can build it back for every generation. Yeah, that's really good advice. You have to know where to go. And um, once you're there, you have to know when to leave. And most people don't, they weren't trained to, especially if they went to business school, good Lord, they were taught to hang on for dear life. So that's an amazing turnaround story. Some of your other brands, maybe not as exciting as um, MTV, those of us that grew up with MTV. I mean, was part of it just shifting on to the next generation saying, hey, baby boomers, we got to go. See you later. Thanks for getting started. But we, we have some other ideas. Or is it still appealing to multiple age brackets? Yeah. Or is, v or is VH1, VH1 was supposed to have been the grown up one. And then I lost track of which does which now. But when I love I music. About, I love music. So I'm always checking them out. Yeah, I think the thing was first to look at the numbers and the facts. And it was a hard swallow to look at the numbers and the facts mm. in 2016. Oh, I remember gosh. Forbes headline that said no one wants their MTV or Comedy Central anymore. That wasn't necessarily true, but it was true in terms of scale of the decline. And I think when we looked at the numbers and the facts, the brands and IP that were doing the best for us were some of our franchise favorites, like The Challenge. Um, Wild and Out on MTV, uh, yeah. The Daily Show on Comedy Central. So instead of trying to come up with the next one hit wonder, which the whole industry was chasing, we looked at IP has power, let's build in that IP, let's invest in that IP, and then let's launch new shows out of that. So instead of trying to do a self-start, launch a new show at a time when the streaming industry was blowing up and everybody else was trying to look at new shows, if you look at the data in 2016, I think it was less than 5% of new shows actually made it. So the question is why, why weren't they making it? And the reality was there was so much content that consumers were already connected to that they weren't giving the consideration opportunity to new IP. So the best thing we could do was to double down on our strong franchise favorites and then launch shows out of it. Um, and we did just that with great success. We launched, we brought back Jersey Shore. We launched Floribama Shore out of it. We doubled down on The Daily Show with Trevor Noah and across all platforms, Trevor Noah is actually the number one socially engaged show. He has the highest level of engagement. The yep. digital content that we have for The Daily Show is second to none. While some of the other late night shows may have bigger followings, if you look at what I think is the most important metric with digital and social, which is engagement and minutes viewed, we win. Yep. So, yeah. It's um, yeah. interesting during, during the pandemics, uh, you know, the, the big three networks, the their late night talk show stuff has not, I don't know, I don't think it's been resonating where yours is, is definitely, you know, your right place, right time. Whoever thought when you started Comedy Central, that would be talk show format, you know, it was comedian stand up and, and, uh, 
Uh, that was a uh, scary stat, 5%. Don't make it through the pilot or first season. That's uh, It was about boy, 5% at, in 2016, going from first season to second season. Just wasn't uh, happening. Wasn't happening. What? Um, so I really want to thank you for being on. A couple of things I want to ask you at the end here is what type of advice would you give to these uh, YZ, um, you know, upcoming uh people coming out of college uh, for a second job that actually want to get into media and content and, and all the fun stuff you're doing? I think the first thing is whatever company that you decide or brand you decide to work for, make sure that you believe in it, that the purpose of that organization aligns with your individual purpose, because if it does, you'll be able to do that much more with it. I also think, should you decide to start your own company, which so many people are, Think about the customer first, and is there truly a need for what you're doing? Um, and you know, I was lucky enough to run the research department at MLB, so I like to look at customer trends and understand. You know, I knew that I wasn't a man 18 to 34 when I was the CMO of MLB. Understand really what their needs and wants are, and then be able to project forward. So, coming out of college now, I think the most important thing is understanding kind of what you think your individual purpose is and how that aligns with any brand or business that you want to get into. And I think that there's a lot of um, conforming to business as it exists today that needs to be thrown out. And yep. both the business and the employee need to feel more empowered to kind of move away from these ladder type step here, go to the next level, go to the next level. There are some people that should truly go from the first level all the way up. If companies get it right, they'll allow for that elasticity when they find the right employees. Yeah, exactly. I recommend a lot of the people, uh, besides working for a BFS, if you must, um, also have another side gig on the side and not not really a hustle, but something that actually does engage you that might be relevant to the company, it might not, but it's often uh, volunteering to start up an incubator, accelerator, whatever it is that uh, turns you on. What about you? What's, uh, what's next for you? Speaking of reboot. So this is going to be a big reboot for me. Um, so at end of the year, I'm transitioning out of Viacom CVS, taking my own advice of planning your own exit and leaving it at an all-time high, which I'm very excited about, and really going to kind of replenish myself. I haven't read a book or I've just started to watch The Crown on Netflix and I'm absolutely into it, but I think I'm the last person in the United States to get onto that trend. Yeah. Um, I just haven't had time with the amount of- Recommend a bottle of wine for that. A bottle of wine. I have three of my own Gen Zers, so I'm going to enjoy uh, a little time and have a little personal adventure to replenish. When I used to work at the Muppets, there was a man that um, Frank Wells, who I think he, his his theory was you should always take a certain amount of time off to adventure, and that that absolutely enrich you. And so that's my plan right now. Had a lot of people right. come out of the woodwork with opportunities, which I'm flattered by, but that's my plan for now, Dean. Sounds good. I actually have one for you as well. Uh, where can people follow you? You can follow me at JD underscore Parks, P-A-R-K-E-S on Twitter. You can also follow me on LinkedIn. And, um, you know, I'd love to hear from people in the we have a We have a huge LinkedIn audience, so they will follow you. And uh, we'll put your uh, home phone number and address in the, uh, in the notes as well. <laughs> no. Oh, I really want to thank you for being on. Everybody been listening to Jacqueline Parks. She is currently the CMO and EVP at um, <clears throat> Viacom CBS and Stay tuned to see what's next. I think you should kind of make a show or a little video about it. You can use some of this footage, just kind of film your next six months. There you go, Dean. I hope you continue to feel better 
And uh, thank you so much for having me. I'm really honored to be on your show. I've been following you. You're so welcome. And I'm glad your son's better too. Thank you, Dean. Thank you so much. Have a great holiday season. You too. Merry Christmas. Thanks. Thanks.